The article headline, uh, quote, missing, unquote, woman, mystery solved. A group of tourists spent hours Saturday night looking for a missing woman near Iceland's Eldgja Canyon, only to find her among the search party. The group was traveling through Iceland on a tour bus and stopped near a volcanic canyon. Soon there was word of a missing passenger. The woman who had changed clothes did not recognize the description of herself and joined in the search. But the search was called off at about 3 a.m. when it became clear that the missing woman was, in fact, accounted for and searching for herself. I thought that was wonderful. This woman is lost, and she joins the search party and spends hours with other people searching for herself. Uh, So some questions we're exploring tonight. What are you looking for? What are you searching for? Where are you headed? Are you spinning in circles, or are you headed in a direction that you are aware of and, and actually going in that direction? Who are you following, and who's following you? And the very first thing that Jesus ever told the very first disciples was, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. The last thing that Jesus ever told those very same disciples was, go and make followers of me all over the earth. Baptize them into this new way of life and teach them to follow the path that's been laid out. Teach them everything that's been commanded of them. So we gather tonight and we center around Jesus. Some of us are following Jesus actively. Some of us are intrigued and curious about Jesus. So we show up to a space like this. So tonight, let's lean in and let's listen for the way of life, which is the way of Jesus that we have been invited to walk. So I'm going to invite everybody to stand up and we're going to start our evening of worship with some songs. Mark chapter 1, this is right away in the gospel according to Mark. Jesus uh, sees these two guys, um, Simon and Andrew, uh, their brothers, and Jesus sees them fishing, um, and he doesn't know them, but he just sees them fishing. They're casting a net into the lake, um, and Jesus shouts out to them, and he says, come and follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I imagine uh, that the first followers of Jesus didn't know what to do with these words. Come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Uh, to fish for people would have sounded as funny to the, in the first century as it does to us today. Fishing for people is a weird thing. Um, add to that the fact that these guys are not fishing for fun. Fishing is not a hobby of theirs. Uh, fishing is what they do for work. It's their career. It's their livelihood. It's what they've trained in all of their lives. They're professionals. They're busy at work, and this guy is interrupting them, saying, like, hey, follow me. Instead of doing the work that you've uh, trained your whole life for, that your, your parents probably did, instead of doing that, just come follow me, and we'll fish for these other, other species. We'll fish for people. Um, so their workday is being interrupted by someone who almost seems like he might be making fun of them or their work or belittling their work, saying, hey, what you're doing isn't that important. Why don't you come do this thing instead? So if Jesus had shown up at my workplace or your workplace and said, hey, instead of doing what you're doing, why don't you do something worthwhile? Like, you're like, um, who are you and what are you doing here? Why are you saying that to me? Um, That's my imagination of what the response would have been like. But my imagination um, isn't very great. Uh, Because uh, I would have been put off, I would have been irritated, I might have been offended. Uh, My imagination is lacking because that's not what happened. 
for some reason, Simon and Andrew clearly heard something else, and they knew what to do with this invitation, because the very next thing that Mark tells us is that at once, they left their nets, and they followed him. Come follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people. It sounds insulting. It sounds belittling. It sounds distracting. But at once, they left their nets, and they followed Jesus. But what is, it, uh, and the, what is it that they followed Jesus into? And kind of the meta-level question is, what is it that we are following Jesus into? What we see, if we look at the Gospels, is an invitation into a certain and specific and particular way of life. It's a way of life that's not vague, but it's specific. It's not universal, but it's particular. It's not a heavenly invitation. It's an earthly invitation. It's not spiritual, but it's physical. It's not cerebral, but it's tactile. There's like a real invitations going out. And it's not limited by any of these dualistic dualities that I just laid out for you. In other words, it's like a holistic invitation. It's just some very specific, tangible things that upset what we're thinking about in our cerebrum and in our hands. It's not limited by these things. It's a holistic invitation into a specific, particular way of life. Over the last month at Open Door, we've been looking at the kind of life that Jesus invited these earliest disciples into. And we're coming up on our 15th birthday. And for 15 years at Open Door, we have been talking about the way of Jesus as the way of life. And as a particular and specific kind of life. And we talk about that life as a life that's rooted in God's story, woven together as family extending sacrificial love and cultivating others to be and do the same, rooted and woven and extending and cultivating. These four words surfaced for us at Open Door during months and months and months on end that we spent, that we spent exploring the stories of Jesus in the Gospels. And as we were doing this as a community, we're trying to categorize the unique ways that Jesus lived in the unique way that Jesus called his followers to live. So we're exploring the Gospels, we're exploring the stories of Jesus, we're exploring the life of Jesus and trying to figure out what makes the life of Jesus unique, what makes it different, what set him apart, so that when he called people to put aside your nets and follow me, there was something specific and practical and tangible, and somehow they, they, they didn't know exactly what it was, but they knew that there was something that was going to be given to them, something that was going to be um, shared with them, something that was going to be passed on to them that would change the trajectory of their life. So rooted, woven, extending, cultivating are kind of like four buckets. If you picture, like, picture me holding buckets, I have four of them. Four buckets that we came up with to talk about life in the way of Jesus. And over the history of Open Doors, we've imagined a collective of human beings following Jesus Um, It's not just a group of people who think differently about Jesus. It's not just a group of people who believe different things about Jesus, but a group of people, a collective of humans who are actually taking on a way of life. We're picking up certain buckets that mark us and identify us and distinguish us as Jesus-following people. So there's actually things we do, practices that we engage in, buckets that we're picking up because we're following Jesus. A bucket for rooted, a bucket for woven, a bucket for extending, a bucket for cultivating. Those are the four buckets that we've used uh, over the last decade and a half at Open Door. So we have these buckets, and then these buckets shape our life as people because we're carrying these buckets around in such a way that people actually see us and witness a group of people that are practicing rooted, 
woven, extending, cultivating lives, which we call a life in the way of Jesus. And I think all of us probably know just enough about the human anatomy um, to know that as we would practice, if we were literally carrying buckets around, we're going to be shaped and formed in a certain way, right? Like if you do a certain kind of workout routine or a certain regimen of physical activity, your body is literally going to be shaped and reshaped to a different, uh, a different form. We're going to be reshaped into the kind of people who do this kind of thing. So if we're bucket-carrying people, we're going to be shaped as the kind of people. We're going to exercise and strengthen those muscles as we pick up those buckets, And if these are the buckets, rooted, woven, extending, and cultivating, that Jesus lifted and carried and put on display, and we are a kind of people who lift and carry and put on display these buckets, eventually, eventually, over time, we're not just going to be a group of people that are following Jesus. We're going to be a group of people who start looking like Jesus because picking up buckets and doing a certain regimen or practice or routine is going to shape us into a particular way of looking. Right? So we're not just going to be Jesus-following people, but we're going to be Jesus-looking people. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes um, the second of two letters to the church in Corinth, and he says that Jesus-following people will start to take on what he calls the aroma of Christ. So as we start following Jesus, eventually we're going to start smelling like Jesus. That's super weird. So we don't talk about being a Jesus-smelling people. Uh, We mainly talk about following Jesus and looking like Jesus. But Paul says we're going to also start to smell like Jesus. Um, Tonight we're talking about the the cultivating life, this bucket of life that invites us to follow Jesus as people who cultivate others into the rooted, woven, and extending life. So on the web, we have this language about cultivating. Our work at Open Door is to participate with the Holy Spirit in reproducing the life of Jesus in the lives of others. So cultivating others is our mission. When Jesus calls out to these brothers, Simon and Andrew, he doesn't just tell these guys to follow him. Following is the first part of the invitation that Jesus extends. The second part is helping shape others in the journey of following. The fishing analogy that Jesus uses is helpful and healthy, at least to a certain extent. So if you're fishing with bait, it means that you are aware of the longings and the desires of those around us in the world. And you're speaking directly to the like, actual expressed needs of our culture. Right? Like, that's what people who fish with bait do. They're like, this kind of fish likes this kind of bait, so I'm going to put it on the hook and I'm going to throw it in the water where I think the fish are. You're looking for a certain kind of thing, and if you know what you're doing, you know what kind of bait to do, so you're aware and you're familiar with what the hunger that's driving the, the, whatever it is that you're fishing for is looking for. You get it when you fish with bait. If you're fishing with nets, it means you have a working familiarity with the patterns and the flows and the currents of the world that we live in. You understand how people move and how people think and where people show up. There's a deep knowledge of our neighbors, a deep knowledge of the way of life of the world around us, and we cast our nets in that direction because we know what we're doing. So Jesus is talking to professional fishermen who understand how to cast nets in certain directions. And he says, I'm going to teach you something different, but it's related. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. Follow me, and you're going to know where to cast the net so that you actually find what you're looking for. The analogy kind of breaks down when we realize that most fish don't want to be caught. Probably no fish that you actually want to catch wants to be caught. 
by your hook. So that's where the analogy breaks down and stops being helpful. But to fish for people, like Jesus invited Simon and Andrew, and then many more, it requires this deep presence. It requires empathy. It requires emotional and cultural intelligence about how the world we live in works and how it doesn't work and who the world we live in doesn't work for. And we show up in those places as people who are walking in the way of Jesus, which is a way of hope and a way of courage. It's a way that's free from the captivity of fear and worry. It's a way of justice. It's a way of abundance. It's a way of peace. So we show up to those places. We put the way of Jesus on display, and then we keep on following. So when Jesus says, put aside your nets, follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to fish for people, he wasn't inviting his disciples these brothers, these, this community of women and men that he'll invite to follow him. He wasn't inviting them out of the world. He was inviting them to tune into what's happening in the world, to pay attention to the people that we see in all of the spaces that we find ourselves throughout the week, to be like culturally attuned and in sync with what's happening in the world so that we know exactly what those deep hungers, those prolonged longings are that our world is experiencing and how we might speak and act and respond in those spaces. Open Door, for, for years, we've had this piece of art that we occasionally put out. Um, it's been a while since we put it out. It was painted in our early years, um, and it has this picture of Jesus with his arms outstretched on the cross. And there's gr- Greek words across the canvas um, that translate Paul's words to the Corinthian church. And in Greek, it just says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's this picture of Jesus with his arms stretched out on the cross. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And these are Paul's words to the first letter that he wrote to this church in Corinth. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for people. And then Paul says, imitate me as I follow Christ. Jesus says, follow me. Paul says, follow me because I'm following Christ. Christ. When we say that we're a people who follow Jesus, we often talk, talk about uh, following Jesus for the good of the world or for the flourishing of all. But this isn't like a self-help journey. This isn't like a rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing. This is the kind of work that takes uh, a lot of intentionality and sacrifice and commitment uh, to follow Jesus. Jesus spoke of himself as the way. Um, he talked about himself as the gate. He talked about himself as the narrow path. And we hear this language of narrow path, and often we hear those words uh, of Jesus saying that I am the narrow path. And we think that it means like exclusivity, like only certain people are allowed on this path. But those images, those words, that idea of a narrow path, uh, when we look at it, when we translate it, it's not about exclusivity as much as it is about particularity. There's a specific and particular path that is Jesus, and we're invited onto that specific, particular, narrow path. There's a way of living in the world that's possible and that is good, that leads to the abundant life that Jesus proclaimed. But you're not going to wake up and walk on that path on accident. Following Jesus doesn't happen by chance. And it also doesn't happen uh, just by showing up to a place like this on Sunday evenings. I think uh, that following Jesus is contagious, I think it can be viral, um, but you don't catch it without an openness and a humility to learn and change and follow in the pattern that Jesus invites us into. It doesn't happen by chance. You're not going to wake up and follow Jesus on accident. 
It takes a, like a, a literal step in a different direction to follow Jesus. It's a narrow path, meaning it's a specific and a particular invitation that we are invited to walk along. And the way that the scripture paints uh, this picture that this, of this pattern that Jesus invites us into, um, the pattern is not just put on display in the historical figure of Jesus, but in the women and the men who have followed Jesus throughout history, and the women and the men who continue to follow Jesus in the world today. We don't get to follow Jesus in a vacuum. We follow Jesus by following people, particular people who are particularly faithful in their following of Jesus. So Paul is writing to a church decades after Jesus, but not that long after when saying, like, if you want to follow Jesus, follow me, because I'm following Jesus. But, like, there's flesh and blood here that you can follow and look at and watch and walk alongside. Follow me, imitate me, Paul says, as I imitate Christ. There's particular people who are particularly faithful in their following of Jesus, and we're invited to follow Jesus by following those people. And we're invited to be the kind of people who other people are following as we follow Jesus. It's like a big circle. Does that make sense? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me, Jesus says, and I'll cause you to fish for people. So Paul is essentially saying to the church in Corinth, and will probably say to the church in Walnut Creek, open door included, if you want to follow Jesus, it's not going to happen by chance. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen on a deserted island somewhere. The path is narrow. The path is particular. You're going to need a guide. It happens in community. It happens in a collective of human beings who are trying to do this together. You're going to need a guide. So Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And Paul is trying to create the types of communities, the types of followers where other people, where every person can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm following Jesus. Jesus called me. I'm following Jesus. And I'm doing it by following this person, but I'm actually following Jesus. We're all following Jesus as we follow particularly faithful people who are following Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think we, I'll speak for me. I hear Paul saying that, and I'm like, Paul, you got some ego. Um, you, you have some things figured out. So like the negative side of me says, Paul, you have some ego. Um, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Really? Like you're the, you're the model? Um, and then part of me says, but Paul, you're Paul. You have some things figured out. You were called to this very early on. You have a sense of what's happening here. Um, but there's something audacious about asking someone to follow the way that you live your life. There's something that makes us maybe a little bit uncomfortable, and maybe it should make us a little bit uncomfortable. There's some audacity to, to saying that, to follow me, follow everything I do because I'm following Jesus. Follow me. More often than not, uh, if someone comes up to us and says, like, you got things figured out, tell me how that works, we'll, like, throw up our hands in the air and say, whatever you do, don't do the things that I've done. Here's, we're, we're, like, quick to say, like, here's all the things I've done wrong. Don't do those things. Like, or, like, you don't actually don't want to follow me. Go follow someone else. But we also live in a world where we hire personal trainers and pay them a lot of money, and we hire the personal trainer who looks the way that we want to look, right? Or has the mentality about fitness or physicality that we also want to grow in. So we hire people for these specific things to, 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 so that we can become what they are. We hire personal trainers. We entrust our money to financial planners who seem to have a particular understanding of how best to invest it. If we don't know how to do it, we're like, we're going to find someone who's got this slice of life figured out, and we're just going to trust them in it. 
I'm going to trust this person with my physicality and my fitness and my health because what they're doing seems to be working for them. What I'm doing isn't working for me, so I'm going to put my trust in that person for that slice of my life. We follow people on social media who say the things that we think sound good or wear the things that we think look good. So we know what it's like to follow someone and entrust a piece of our life to someone. We do it all the time. But the audacity of the invitation of Jesus is that it's not just a piece or a segment or a little slice of our life that Jesus is inviting us to follow him into. It's the whole thing. Jesus, unfortunately for us, wasn't just like a religious guru who had like the one thing that he wanted you to know. And if you do this one thing, you can do whatever you want for the rest of your life. But with this slice, I've got it figured out. Jesus wasn't that religious guru. He wasn't an expert on one narrow slice or portion of life. Um, Jesus was the master of life. He had the whole thing figured out. The way that Jesus lived was deeply grounded. It was deeply grounded to the point where the cultural forces and the whims of the crowds around him had no sway over him. He wasn't concerned. He heard, he listened, but he wasn't concerned and swayed by the cultural forces around him. The way that Jesus lived was deeply interwoven in relationship. His sense of family extended beyond the biological, and we see it in the way that he showed up hospitably and received hospitality, the way that people uh, longed to spend time with him. Jesus was deeply interwoven in relationship. The way that Jesus lived was deeply invested, sacrificially so, into the flourishing of others. Whether you believe in miracles or not, Jesus continually showed up with a deep healing presence to the lonely to the forgotten, to the downtrodden. He ultimately put his life on the line and lost it so that others could live. And he did this in part to put to shame the social and political and religious powers and systems that crushed other human beings so that they could hold on to their power. So Jesus like put a stick in the cog of power that was crushing people, and that stick was his life. He was willing to give everything so that other people could live. So when people spent time with Jesus because of these, this deep groundedness, this deep interwovenness, this deep and sacrificial investment, when people spent time with Jesus, what they experienced was a deep and intentional cultivating. People spent time with Jesus and they, they could sense that things inside of them were like turning inside out. People talked about like, I spent time with Jesus and he knew everything about me. I didn't even tell him those things, and he knew everything about me, and stuff started bubbling to the surface, stuff that I try to keep hidden, and I spend so much of my energy to hide in stuff so that no one else sees it, it kind of bubbled to the surface when I spent time with Jesus, and now i got to deal with this stuff. People spent time with Jesus, and what they experienced was a deep and intentional cultivating, and we are invited to live that same kind of life. Paul says, imitate me, as I imitate Christ. The thing is, is that we're only going to find ourselves cultivating others to be and do the same if we are following Jesus in such a way that it's visible and it's noticeable. People see the buckets that we're picking up and lifting and carrying around as we follow Jesus. It's visible, it's notable, and there's something about it that's worth imitating. If it feels like a grind and everyone looks at you and you're like, your life was ruined in the worst possible way, not in the best possible way because you're following Jesus, people are not going to look at that and long for life with Jesus. 
But as we've talked about, what does it look like to live a rooted life? What does it look like to live a woven life? What does it look like to live an extending life? I think we've hit at some things, these, these longings, these deep hungers in the world around us and said, like, we can live differently because of the life that Jesus is inviting us into, because of the buckets that we've invited to pick up as we follow Jesus. I like this image of buckets because Jesus talks about, like, he has a yoke. Yoke is this, like, image or phrase that people would use to say, like, here's, here's the teaching that I offer you, and you wear it like a yoke. You wear it like a, a beast of burden carrying around this specific way of life. And Jesus says, I have a yoke. There are buckets to pick up, but it's easy. The burden is light. Pick up these buckets and you'll find rest. You'll find rest. So having an imitatable life doesn't mean that you have it all figured out. Having a life worth imitating doesn't mean that you have all the right answers. But it means that you have a vision of where you're headed. It means that you know why you're headed there. You're not just circling around searching for yourself, not knowing that it's yourself you're searching for. You know where you're headed. You know why you're headed there. And you know who you're following. It means you're actually picking up some of these buckets and carrying them around in everyday life. Imitate me, Paul says, as I imitate Christ. Jesus says, follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. Um, 